Boy, all right. Tremendous amount of excitement about being here this morning. I'll ask the question one more time, and I want you to know it is okay to talk in church. How are you doing? All right, that's a little bit better. We won by almost three touchdowns yesterday. Come on. I mean, that great? Yeah, it's kind of fun to watch. All right, so we are in Colossians 1. I want to ask you to go ahead and take your Bibles, please, and turn there. We will be getting into this text in just a few moments. A couple of things I want to share with you before we start. First of all, tonight is our fall festival, and as we go through our lesson today, I pray that some of the points we make will um, solidify in your hearts why it's important for you to be here tonight. This is not a children's ministry event. It is not a youth ministry event. It is a church event. And you may think, well, what could I do? Uh, Even if you just come and all you do is just pray over people, uh, that's a very powerful way to spend your time, to greet people, to put names and faces together. We anticipate having some folks from our community here tonight, and it would be awesome if we as a church just really, really showed up. Next Sunday morning, if you are not plugged into a small group or would like to find out more about our small group, a small group ministry, as soon as uh, worship is over, completed in here next Sunday morning, we're going to be meeting in the parlor for a luncheon. We always have plenty of food. I've never been here a single time when we've run out. It's as if the fish and the loaves just get multiplied right there in the parlor. So uh, please come on out next Sunday. We have three of our small groups who will be hosting that luncheon, and we would love to have you there. A few years ago, a story surfaced about something that happened to President John Kennedy. Now, as the years have passed, people don't know if this story is true or if it has been embellished over the years. But the story goes like this. In the early 1960s, John Kennedy was visiting NASA, new headquarters. And while he was there, he happened to bump into one of the custodians uh, for NASA. And the president asked him, well, what do you do here at NASA? And the gentleman's response was, well, Mr. President, I'm helping put a man on the moon. Now, whether or not the story is real, it does help us understand the importance of a couple of things. One, no matter the role you play, it is important that you play your role. Second, if someone were to walk into our space here on a Sunday and they were to ask you, what do you do here at the church? What's your answer? Is it, I'm the one who helps keep everybody around here straight. Is that your answer? Is it, I am chief joy bringer here at this church? Or the alternative, right? I'm the one who helps with this ministry. I'm the one who helps with that ministry. The the question I want to ask you to wrestle with as we spend some time in the Word this morning is, why am I here? Why am I in this place? Because I think the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1 gives us a pretty clear answer for that question and some characteristics that describe those who are part of the body of Christ and the role that we play as individual parts in that body. 
So we're going to start in Colossians chapter 1. We're going to read this morning the first 14 verses uh, all together, and then we're going to come back and spend a little time looking at them in a little bit more detail. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for God's people. The faith and love that, that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and it's growing throughout the entire world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you've been here for the past several Sundays, you know that we preached through the book of Colossians backward. And the reason we did that is because we wanted to begin with the end in mind. So if you were to flip over a few pages in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 18 and notice the very last verse in this short letter, Paul says, grace be with you. Now I want you to think about this. Out of the tens of thousands of words in Paul's vocabulary, he closes his message focused on grace in the hearts of the people of God. If that's how he ends his message, well, then how does he begin? What foundation does he lay to prepare his audience for this ultimate grace exclamation point at the end of this short but very, very powerful letter? Well, let's revisit the text. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Paul begins Colossians the same way he ends it, focusing on grace. 
He, in the midst of that, asserts his authority as an apostle, and he also acknowledges a partnership with Timothy. And I want you to hear how grace impacts his heart. I want you to see how the grace of God changes the way that Paul looks at people in his life, because remember, he used to be a man who took the life of Christians. And now he is a man who is giving life to Christians. Formerly, he is the kind of man who would have put Timothy in his place. But I want you to notice here he calls Timothy a partner. What did Paul think of Timothy now? Not the old Paul, but the new Paul, the changed through the power of Jesus Christ Paul. What does he think about this young man, Timothy? Well, if we'll go to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 20, we see some pretty powerful language here describing how Paul feels about his son and the faith. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone else looks out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ, but not Timothy, Paul says. You know that he's proved himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. So we see this father-son language, this very intimate portrait of of Paul and Timothy and and the ministry that they share together. And and I want to do a little bit of a shift here, away from the the point that Paul is trying to make, but, but I, I want to I tie this to a greater point that I think is so very important for us to understand, and it is this. In a time, in a time in our culture, when children are so quick to trade the love of their parents for a cheap imitation, We need to not just hear these words, but we need to own these words deep in our hearts. The language Paul uses here is overtly that of family, brother, son, brothers and sisters. There's a a truth here that's worth noting, and I think Paul models this for us beautifully, and, and it is this. Church, we have got to think of family as an action verb. Energy, effort, relationship that we purposefully pour into one another's lives. we got to think about family as an action verb. Paul certainly whether he was speaking to husbands or to wives or to children in a behavioral sense, in the attitudinal sense, or even more importantly, members of the body of Christ in a spiritual sense, Paul seems to, to always indicate that action is an integral part of family life. Grace and peace here are even offered as action verbs. I extend grace to you. I offer the peace of Christ to you. So why think about active involvement in one another's lives? Why think about family as an action verb? Brother and sister language. Father and son language. Paul Paul uses very intimate language to describe the nature of relationships in the body of Christ. Why is this important today? Why should we care? 
I came across some really interesting research. It's been conducted actually for several decades now and is just starting to get a tremendous amount of tension, attention in various publication circles. In April 2019 of this year, uh, Dr. Uh, Rachel Cassandra Lohman shared some really intriguing statistics that got my attention. And, and, and what she said got my attention, but, but more importantly, what she didn't say really got my attention. And I want to share this with you this morning because I think it helps us understand why the words that Paul speaks here are so very important for us. And I'm going to turn to an audience that I don't normally address directly, and that's our, our teenagers this morning. Look what the statistics show, and many of you may already know this. But did you know that adolescent depression is on the rise in our culture? Did you know that? The National Institute of Mental Health reports that about 3.2 million 12 to 17-year-olds have had at least one major depressive episode in the last 12 months. There's a study that was published in the Journal of Abnormal Psychology. No teens, I'm not saying you're abnormal. It's just where it was published, okay? But this research was done by the National Survey on Drug Use and Health, and they collected drug and alcohol data, use data, on, um, related to mental health use since 1971. They've surveyed 200,000 uh, teens between the ages of 12 and 17, between 2005 and 2017, and about 400,000 adults between 2008 and 2017 were reviewed. And here's what they found. It was very, very alarming. Major depression among teenagers increased 52% from 2005 to 2017. And it rose 63% among young adults ages 18 to 25 from 2009 to 2017. Now, here are the reasons that this particular author, this PhD, gave for why this is happening. The first reason that teenagers and young adults are now hyper-connected and they are over-stimulated. It used to be that we had major appendages, right? Hands, feet. Now we have hands, feet, and a phone, Right? It's like it's part of our body. Some research indicates that 95% of teenagers in the United States have access to a smartphone. 95%. Pew Research did a study that shows that about 45% of teens spend a tremendous amount of their day online. We are turning more and more and more to the internet for social support and social comparison. I made this post, how many likes did I get? And if I didn't get enough likes, I take the post down. Or so-and-so, my friend, didn't comment on this like, hmm, I wonder if they're mad at me, okay? These are the kind of games that we play in our mind now that we didn't play years ago. She also noted that we live in uncertain times, that there's always this constant a threat of violence that seems to be out there and, and kind of the what's going to happen next because our culture seems to just be getting more and more violent as we go along. She indicated that teens are not getting enough sleep. Now, some of you may think, well, that's not a problem for my child. Well, um, I'll let you guys work that out, okay? But teens need, did you guys know this? You need about eight and a half hours to 9.2 hours sleep at night. Eight and a half, nine point. So when your mom says it's time to go to bed, here's your answer. Are you ready for it? 
Yes, ma'am. Okay, because you need to get some sleep. You need to get some sleep. Here's something she notes that's also very intriguing, and that's lack of community. She points out that we live in very stressful times. Our modern lifestyles are very hectic. It's day-to-day. It's hour-to-hour. It's go-go-go all the time. But because we're going so fast, our face-to-face time has dwindled. Our face-to-face time has decreased. And And I even sense this myself. You know, when you're in Europe, I was in Ukraine this past week, and and dinner there, it's not about the meal. It's always more about the fellowship. And I remember sitting at one of the restaurants thinking to myself, what is taking so long? When I had these wonderful people around me that I hadn't connected with in a while, it gets into our head, right? It gets into our hearts, right? So here's what I want you to notice as you're paying attention here to these reasons why our teens are depressed. What's not on the list? You you tell me. What do you not see up here? Family? What else is not on the list? Love, and I'm going to push that a little bit. A relationship with Jesus Christ is not up here. Now, we would expect that, right? Because this is a secular study. However, what's even more intriguing to me is that there's no mention of spirituality of any kind. Should I say a lack of spirituality of any kind that seems to be contributing to depression rates rising in our culture. And so it got me scratching my head. And I'm thinking to myself, hey, if if the promise of humanism is all that it's cracked up to be, then then why are teens not more well-adjusted? Why are they not less depressed than ever before? Why are families not happier? If secular humanists are correct, and we are becoming more and more a secular culture, then why is we are becoming more secular, why are we not becoming more fulfilled? As a species, I think Paul answers that question. Before we get to his answer, notice this verse. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for God's people. Notice what he says. We have heard of your faith and love. If Paul were writing a letter to churches in America today, would he say the same thing? If he were writing a letter to the, to the A&M Church of Christ, would he say, you know what, Timothy and I, we have heard of your faith and we've heard of your love. You see, I think this is a question that Christians all over our nation should be asking. So let's back up a little bit. A few moments ago, I asked the question, if secular humanists are correct, then why as a culture are we not becoming, as we are becoming more and more secular, why are we not becoming more and more fulfilled? And I said, I think that Paul answers that question. So I want you to notice what he writes next. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that, pay close attention to this, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. Paul mentions two 
key ingredients here that are unquestionably missing from our culture. A, hope in someone greater than ourselves. And B, the true message of the gospel. Teenagers, I wish I could just come alongside you sometimes. I wish I could just put my arm around you and just say, a lot of this stuff you're worrying about, let it go. Focus on Jesus. College students, I wish I could just come alongside you sometime. And you're at that moment of just giving into that temptation and, and thinking, if I can just satisfy this part of my biology, how how great my life's gonna be, and I wish I could just I wish I could just be there to encourage you. Just just stop. Focus on Jesus. Business owner who's stressing so much. We're going to meet the, meet the margins this month. Just take a deep breath. Husband who's hiding your porn addiction from your wife. Don't go there. Mom who's worried so much about your image. See Christ in you. And we could go on and on and on and on. Paul so wants us to understand where our true hope lies. He wants us to so, so understand that there is, there is, there is someone, there is a future that is greater than the present in which we live. The, the proof is in the pudding, he says. The same, the same way the gospel is bearing fruit, it's growing throughout the entire world just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and you truly understood God's grace. And I think there is a truth here that Paul wants us to understand. And it is this, that the more we experience good news, the more we understand God's grace. I, I can't emphasize this truth of Scripture enough. The more we experience good news, the more we understand God's grace. Brennan Manning offers really powerful insights into how the good news life open up, opens up our heart to the power of God's grace. He writes, and I love the title of this, this, uh, this, this uh, gospel, as he calls it, the ragamuffin gospel, good news for the bedraggled, beat up, and burnt out. He says, and grace calls out. You're, you're not just a disillusioned old man who may die soon, a middle-aged woman stuck in a job and desperately wanting to get out, a young person feeling the fire in the belly begin to grow cold. You may be insecure, inadequate, mistaken, or pot-bellied. Death, panic, depression, and disillusionment may be near you, but you are not just that. You are accepted. Never confuse your perception of yourself with the mystery that you really are accepted. Paul so wants the Colossians to know this because he knows what they are up against. He knows how hard Satan's working. He knows how difficult the culture they are living in. He knows how difficult it is. And so he's trying to pour into their heads and pour into their hearts that which is sustainable. He wants to fill them up with God's grace. 
He wants to fill them up with knowledge and wisdom that comes through the power of the Spirit. We see that as he continues to write, you learned it. You learned this good news from Epaphras, our our dear fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. And he's, he's told us of your love in the Spirit. I just want you to notice these attributes that Paul lists of Epaphras. Just look at that verse. He's a dear fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ. He's a worker on behalf of other people. He's, he's a man who tells the story of love. He's a man who focuses on the Spirit. If you were hanging out with Paul, is this how he would describe you? If I'm hanging out with Paul, are these the characteristics by which he would describe me? Man, I certainly hope so. But if not, if Paul couldn't describe me in this way, then maybe I'm, I'm, I'm pushing grace over to the side. Maybe the, the good news, I don't think it's all that good after all. But if I give myself to it, to the power of the Spirit, to allow Spirit to come into my life, if I give myself to this good news, then surely there is a much greater likelihood that I too would be described in this way. As Paul receives this good news about the Colossians, as he reflects on this incredible servant, Epaphras, he says, for this reason, since the day that we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. For this reason here could be translated because of his report, because of his good news about how you have embraced and practiced good news. We have not stopped praying for you. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to talk about how, specifically how he and Timothy and Epaphras, how they have specifically prayed for them. And he says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. I just want to just quickly review these these eight characteristics of being filled with the knowledge of his will through Holy Spirit given wisdom and understanding. I'm not going to elaborate on them. I just want you to see them. I want you to be reminded of them. I don't think this is Paul's prayer just for the Colossians. I think this is Paul's prayer for the saints, for those who are part of the kingdom of God. He he wants us to, to live a life worthy of the Lord. He prays that we would please God in every way. There is a prayer that we bear fruit in every good work. Fourth, he prays that there will be growth in the knowledge of God. He prays that believers will be strengthened with all power. He prays that we would be people of great endurance and great patience. He prays that we will be a a joyful people, a thankful people. He prays that we experience all of this so that we might be able to share in the inheritance of the saints. And I just want you to take a moment and just look at these characteristics that are on screen. I think it helps us understand another truth that we can mine from the Scripture, and that is this, that people who are full of grace are people 
who are filled with life. We're so incredibly filled because of what God has done in and through us with the power of His Holy Spirit. Why is it important, church, that we not only believe this, but why is it important that we pursue this, this kind of life? Why is it important that we pursue this with all of our hearts? Because, Paul says, because He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. And He's brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I want you to see this because I think it's incredibly important for us to understand it. Even in our brokenness, the rescued make great rescuers. That's you and me. You don't have to have a PhD in theology to be the hands and feet of Jesus to someone. You don't have to have a, a master's degree in the Bible to understand what it means to, to serve others in love. You don't have to understand the root meaning of, of Greek words and, and know the Hebrew alphabet and, and, and be able to, to memorize all of these facts and to, to be an effective, powerful witness for Jesus. Are those things important? Yes, but they're not the most important thing. The most important thing is opening your head and opening your heart so that you can be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit God's honor to His glory. A few years ago, a story surfaced. It's probably based on true events. In the early 1960s, John F. Kennedy visited NASA headquarters for the first time. And while touring the facility, he introduced himself to one of the custodians. And he asked, What do you do at NASA? The gentleman answered, Mr. President, I'm helping put a man on the moon. I asked earlier if someone walks into our facility on a Sunday morning and they ask you, what do you do here at the church? What's our answer? Well, I want to give you a recommendation. I hope moving forward, your answer will be, well, I, I help people find hope and live with purpose. You see, if we as people of God will think of family as an action verb, if we will choose to experience good news we will begin to more fully understand God's grace. And when we become people who are full of grace, we will become people who are full of life. And we will realize that even in our brokenness, even as those who are rescued, God can use us to become rescuers, all to His honor and all to His glory. And that's the sermon for today. I pray you don't just live it on a Sunday. I pray you choose to live it every day for the rest of your lives. And even when you fall, even when you fall, know 
that through His grace, He's going to pick you up. So press on, my friends. My brothers and sisters in Christ, press on. Let's stand together. We're going to share a song together. If there's anything we can do for you this morning, prayer, baptism, a request of your heart, feel free to share it with us as we sing this song.